Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. Turn to John's Gospel and the 21st chapter. We are here in the last chapter of John's Gospel. I told the early service that I managed to turn a short message into a long message, and uh, I, I did get a couple of laughs. One of them was from myself. There's so much in this text that we're going to look at today, and in fact, these closing texts that we see John record under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit have so much meaning and so much depth, so many lessons for all of us to learn. But today we are going to learn it in a lesson where Jesus is going to single one of his disciples out. And let me just start this by saying none of us like to be singled out, do we? None of us like to be singled out, especially if we're being singled out because we've made a mistake, or we've blown it, or we've sinned. In our time, we know this, and in our culture, it's very frowned upon, right? You're not even allowed to, uh, according to the standards of our culture, to single out your children when they misbehave in public. Let me, let me tell each of you this for free. Keep singling them out, right? Let little Johnny be an example to his sister of, here's what you do when you misbehave. This is what happens. These are the consequences. You're going to be singled out. Because singling out is going to teach us deep lessons. Singling us out is going to give us that constructive criticism that we all need. And in this lesson today, we're going to see Peter gets singled out. Remember where we left off last week? There were seven disciples. They had fished all night to no avail. Jesus told them, try the right side of the boat. And they did. And all seven of them, trying as they may, could not bring in the load of fish into the boat. They went to the seashore. Jesus already there. As Simon Peter jumps in, swimming there. There on the seashore, he already had fish and bread on a fire. These professional fishermen humbled by the master once again. And he invited them to fellowship with him. And during this meal, he's going to single Peter out. And he's going to single, single Peter out for a reason. Let me make this very clear before we get started. He doesn't single Peter out just to beat him up one more time because of his failure. Jesus is not interested in beating us up because we fail. He always knows right where we are. He knew we were going to fail before we even fail. He's not going to use this as an opportunity to beat Peter up further. He's going to use this as an opportunity to teach him lessons, important lessons. Lessons that he needs for the ministry that God has called him to. Lessons that others will need to learn who sit under the teaching of this ministry. Lessons that we today, 2,000 years later, need to hear. And so when Jesus singled Peter out that day, it wasn't to just hurt his poor self-esteem. He singled Peter out to teach him some things. My prayer is this to you and for you. My prayer is that today if the Lord singles you out with these lessons, that you would hear these truths and that you would embrace these truths and that you would see the things that the Lord is teaching us through the Apostle Peter who had to be singled out on this day on that shore of Galilee. So let's read this together for the sake of time. We're going to jump right into this. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. Verse 15 says this, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter. He didn't say it to anyone else. He said it to Simon Peter. Now, he called him out right there in front of the group. How do we know this? John's writing this down. John obviously heard it. We're going to see one reason is because John was eavesdropping, as he often found himself. He finished eating, and Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? This is going to carry so much weight that we will look at in a moment, but let's read it through in the English as we can. 
He said, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus asked him a basic and simple question. On the surface, we're going to see that there's much more to it than that. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. I was Peter hurt. We're going to see in a moment. He asked him very differently on the third occasion. He asked him, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. Oh, we can measure a person's Christian growth by the depth of their understanding of the sovereign omniscience of God. Peter finally answers correctly, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter is singled out here, and he's singled out here for reasons and for purposes. And I, I want us to look at those things today as we break these few verses down, only verse 15 to verse 17. He said, well, Pastor, can we keep going? We will. We'll cover some more next week. In fact, we're going to talk about exactly what it means when Jesus references his sheep and how would Peter be involved in that. We're going to talk about that extensively next week. But this week, I want you to see the singling out of Peter. We know that he is the leader among this group. He has been the leader among this group, though he be a flawed leader. Oh, must we realize that this morning, that all of us who lead in God's kingdom are at best flawed leaders. But he singles him out. He singles him out in this discourse for three reasons that we're going to look at today. If you're taking notes, write the first one down. He singles him out to remind him first of the danger of sin. Look at verse 15 in the first part there. I have labeled it A. But as the first part, it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter. Simon Peter being that new name that Jesus gave him. Remember, he gave him that new name and said, You were Simon, son of Jonah, but you will be called Cephas. Jesus does not refer to him here as Peter. He says, Simon Son of John. Jesus reverts back to Peter's pre-conversion title. He is referencing Peter's sinful nature. Oh, what a blow to Peter, who had been given a new name in Christ because he had faith in Christ. Now, Jesus refers to him with that old Name. Remember that old name that we see in the Gospels, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. At that time, he was Simon, and Jesus called him for a specific purpose. John records it like this in John chapter 1, verse 42. He says this, and he brought him to Jesus. His brother brings Simon to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, or son of Jonah. He refers to him as that name. That is his earthly name. He said, you're Simon, son of John, or son of Jonah. Don't you know that amazed Peter at that time, that this man he had never met walked up and called him by his name? And then he says this, you will be called Cephas which when translated is Peter. He said, you will have a new name. Oh, and what a gut-wrenching thought here on the shore of Galilee after the death and the resurrection of Christ. Peter meeting up with Jesus, excited as we saw last week. Remember last week he jumped out of the boat, swam to the shore. He was so excited to see the Lord that the, the, the net of fish that seven men couldn't pull in. Peter then goes back and drags it all the way up to the shore just because Jesus said, go get the fish that you've caught and let's eat together. I'm welcome back in fellowship. Oh, and we understand that we're welcome in fellowship with Jesus. It ought to excite us. 
Peter's pure passion and excitement for Jesus allowed him to do what seven other men couldn't do. And he drug that net full of fish, 153 in all, to the shore. After breakfast, Jesus then refers to him as his old name. That old name. He was using that old name to get his attention. Just like he sometimes uses my old name to get my attention when I behave like Kirk Hall instead of Kirk Hall who's been redeemed in Christ. He was getting his attention. He wants him to understand the danger that we have of ever-present sin. He wanted him to not make the same mistakes that he had been making, thinking that he was above something. He wanted Peter to understand the constant and ever-present danger of our old nature. Christians, hear that this morning. If you get nothing else in anything that I say today, hear that. You are saved, you are born again, but your sin nature still exists. That old Kirk Hall is lurking in the shadows. Just as Simon, son of Jonah, was lurking in the shadows. We must wage war against that old man. The constant danger of ever-present sin, he's making him aware of that. His purpose in singling him out was to remind him of that danger. Why? Because the reality of ever-present sin commands us to remain humble. It commands us to remain humble. If you ever think that you are above sin in this life, you have made a fatal mistake. You're not above sin. Seeing and admitting your constant imperfections ought to cause you to remain broken and humble before a holy God. He wanted Peter to see this lesson. He wanted him to grasp this so that he would depend upon God and His strength, not upon himself. We're to do the same. To realize that there is ever-present sin Paul understood this, Romans chapter 7. You all are familiar with this, I hope. But Romans chapter 7, verse 18. The apostle Paul said this about himself. He is the apostle to the Gentiles, but a flawed man at best. And he says this, I know that nothing good lives in me. Well, there's the end of self-righteousness right there, isn't it? If we get that, doesn't that humble us? I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. Paul understood that there was a Saul of Tarsus that was still lurking, that was still able to be, prone to be disobedient to the things and the commands of God. He says, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Many of you here have the desire to do what is good, but you are incapable of carrying it out. You say, well, who do you think you are? I am a person who is incapable of carrying it out. I have to humbly depend upon God. I have to humbly depend upon Him and not upon my flesh. Because arrogance in this area is dangerous. It's dangerous. Many have become arrogant and self-sufficient even in their Quote, Christianity. Let me remind you of what Paul thought it necessary to teach the church at Corinth in his first Corinthian letter in chapter 10, verse 12. He said, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Oh, Christian, will you hear me today? Don't be arrogant in your walk with God thinking that you have it all figured out and you've grown so much that you're never going to fall again because the moment that you grab a hold of such arrogance, it comes from your old nature, Simon, son of Jonah, Kirk Hall, son of Roger Hall. It comes from that sin nature that you inherited from your father. That is not from your new nature. Be constantly aware of this. He's reminding him of the danger of sin. That sin that lurks and prowls, seeking to take the believer down. Don't be arrogant. Peter had already made this mistake before, hadn't he? He'd already made this mistake. And in fact, John chapter 13, if you will go back there with me in your minds, you will remember this. In verse 37, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you? Why can't I follow you now? Because the Lord told him, you can't follow me now. You will later. He said, why can't I follow you now? 
And then what does he do? He presents himself. I, I, I. Isn't our biggest problem when we get down to it an I problem? I. It's us. He said, I will lay down my life for you. Oh, what a bold statement. Peter, you wouldn't even live for him. Don't act like you would die for him. You haven't yet grown to that point. Isn't it true so many people claim that they would die for Christ, yet they won't live for him? Brothers, sisters, listen to me. You will not die for someone who you will not live for first. He says, I'll lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? He knew the answer, didn't he? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter, in the arrogance and pride of Simon, son of Jonah, made a boastful, arrogant statement that was haunting him, even to this moment here on the banks of Galilee. We must remember to remain humble in regard or sin, not make the same mistake of arrogantly thinking that we stand on our own that Peter is making and has made here and that we so often make in our lives. The constant danger of ever-present sin commands us to remain humble. Secondly, it does this. It confirms our constant need of God's grace. Don't fall into the trap of thinking you only need God's grace at salvation. You are always in desperate need of the grace of God. Oh, when we are humbled, we realize that, that there is nothing good, as Paul said in Romans chapter 7, in myself. I'm in constant need of the grace of God, which is found in Christ and Christ alone. To forget that, to forget your constant need for the grace of God, is to open the door for self-righteousness and pride and arrogance, and self-sufficiency. And before you know it, you're no longer even trusting and counting on God for anything. You're simply counting on you and your ability. That's what Peter was doing. That's where he had found himself. That's where we find ourselves so many times. Because we don't see our constant need of God's grace. How often do I need God's grace? The man who would say every day would err. He would err. He was there 24 hours in every day. If he said, I need him every hour, he would err. Because there's 60 minutes to every hour. If he said, I need him every minute, he would err. Because there's 60 seconds to every minute. I need him every millisecond of every Second, I need His grace. It is His grace that is sufficient, and nothing in me is ever sufficient. I'm in need of His grace. He's showing Him, confirming to Him His constant need for God's grace. Remember Paul struggling in Romans chapter 7? We already read that in verse 18. But look at verse 21 of that same chapter. Paul says this, he said, So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Yes, you brought him to the party. Everywhere I go, Kirk Hall is right there with me. Evil in all of his ways. You say, Pastor, why would you talk so awful about yourself? I'm just being honest about myself. I'm sorry that you are not honest about yourself. I pray that you see the truth here today. Well, the charismatics love to say, well, you're just beating yourself up. No, I'm not beating myself up. I'm realistically looking at the truth. I am dependent upon the grace of God. That is the only thing that keeps me humble in my life. Paul says, so I find this law at work when I want to do good. Evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Look at the conclusion Paul comes to. He says, there's two things going on here. In the depths of my soul, my redeemed soul, I am focused on obedience to the Word of God, to serving Him, to loving Him, to loving others, to obeying His commands. He said, but there's a whole other thing going on here that's waging war against my new nature. And it is my old nature. He said, what a wretched man I am. 
Was he talking about Paul, the redeemed son of God? No, he wasn't. He was talking about Saul of Tarsus, who was ever present, the one who murdered Christians and signed the, the waivers that others could murder Christians. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? You think he knew to depend on the grace of God? Watch what he says. He asks a rhetorical question. Then he gives you the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. That's the redeemed mind, the renewed mind. He says, I'm a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. How many of you can relate to that? When you want to do the will of God, the will of your old self is ever present. Please be aware of that. To teach you anything other than that is to not be a good pastor to you. Jesus is confirming to Peter by referring to him as Simon, son of Jonah. He's confirming to him that the danger of sin is always going to be present with you as long as you live. Because Peter's about to grow up, but no matter how much he grows up in the Lord, Simon, son of Jonah, will always be in the picture somehow, and he is in constant need of God's grace. The constant danger of ever-present sin commands us to remain and to be humble broken, confirms our constant need of God's grace, but thirdly, it does this, it causes us to see the need to mortify our sin. To see the need to mortify our sin. In fact, in Colossians, Paul writes this to the church in chapter 3, verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put to death everything that belongs to Simon, son of Jonah everything that belongs to Kirk Hall. Put those things to death. Don't play with those things. Don't entertain those things. Don't dabble in those things. When you recognize that that comes from your old nature, he said, now is the time to put it to death. What are those things? In case you didn't know or in case you didn't want to admit, he gives us a list, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, no American has ever struggled with greed, have we? But then it goes on to say what greed is, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. He says this to the believer, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now, but now, you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Let's don't ask the question anymore. Pastor, is it a sin to cuss? Yes. From your old nature, stop asking that question. You know the answer to that question. I got other questions to answer. You know the answer. Learn some words that are longer than four letters. It will serve you well. People might accidentally think you're smart. He goes on and he says this, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. What a beautiful set of instructions. We're to put to death all of the sinful things of the old nature so that we can live and walk in the new nature bringing glory to our creator by being restored to his image. Isn't that what Romans chapter 8 says? When Paul says those he foreknew, he did predestine to conform to the image of his son. What a beautiful thing there. Jesus is reminding Peter of the danger of sin so that he will continually conform to the image of Christ. And to do that, you must mortify and kill your sin, your sin nature. There's a constant need to die to your old self. Romans 6, Paul says this, verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Because you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, watch what he says next. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. He says this. He's telling us, count yourself dead because you are. You died with Christ. You, rose with, you were buried with Christ. You rose to new life with Christ. Now act like it. Don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. 
Put it to death. Mortify. The Puritans of old understood this. In fact, it's hard to read any of the Puritans and miss the fact that they were constantly humbled by ever-present sin. And that they knew that they had to remain humble and depend upon the grace of God, and they had to mortify or kill that sin. Like one of my favorite books ever, Mortification of Sin by John Owen. If you have a teenage son or a teenage daughter, you have a dog. If your dog can read it, let your dog read it. Dads, read the Mortification of Sin. Moms, read the Mortification of Sin. Teach it to your children. Why? Because it's a forgotten art in our culture, even in the church culture, to die to our sinful selves. And it's John Owen in this book who, who says this. He says, asking the question, do you mortify? Do you ever say no and kill Simon, son of Jonah? Kirk, son of Roger? Do, do you mortify this man? Do you kill him? Do you crucify him daily, moment by moment of your life? Do you mortify do you make it your daily work, he asked. You must always be at it while you live. You will fight against sin until you are glorified and it is taken away completely. John Owen goes on to say, do not take a day off from this work. Don't take a day off to dabble in you. And then he says the famous part of that section, always be killing sin or it will be killing you. What a statement. But they understood. And why did they understand it? They understand the depths of a conversation like this that Jesus is having with Peter. Simon, son of Jonah, he's letting him know that sin is ever present. Always made this clear to him. Remember the conversation that they had in the garden when Jesus said, Satan has requested to sift you as wheat. There's an attack against you, Peter. There's an attack against each of you. Even though you're in Christ, even though you're saved, the old man, the old woman still exists. Do you mortify that old man? Jesus was warning Peter of the dangers associated with the old Simon, son of Jonah. Oh, may we grab that lesson today. Let us learn and this lesson that he's giving Peter, he, he reminded him of the danger of ever-present sin and the weakness of our old man. Perhaps today, you're being singled out. Well, I told you nobody likes being singled out, but I'm so thankful that Christ still singles his own out. Perhaps you're being singled out. You know this. You have reverted to the old man. You know that you're a believer. You know that you're in Christ. Well, see this message today. This message is for you. This message is for me. Jesus singled Peter out to remind him of the danger of sin. Secondly, Jesus singled Peter out in verses 15b, 16b, and 17b. I labeled them by letters because we're looking at small parts. But in these small parts of 15, 16, and 17, we see that Jesus singled Peter out to reiterate the love of the Savior. He wants to show him the extent of his love. Look what he says here. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, it sounds like he's asking the same question over and over and over and over again, but he's not. I want you to pay attention to what really transpires here, what really happens. Jesus was not ridiculing Peter for his lack of love. You know how I know this? Jesus already knew that Peter lacked in the area of love, big in mouth, small in love. And he already knew that about him. But he was actually showing Peter the kind of love that God has for his own. Watch how Jesus words this in the original, and we'll see together what he's saying. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, remember singling him out, Simon, son of John, do you truly agape owe me more than these? Do you truly agape owe me more than these? Now, there's all kind of debate on who are the more than these. Is he talking about the fish and the nets and the boats and the life that he once lived? Is he talking about the other disciples who he compared himself to before where he said, even if all of them fall away, I'm not going to. 
It really doesn't matter what he's talking about here because the emphasis is really not Peter, and I want you to see that. He says, do you truly agape owe me more than these? That word agapeo in the Greek, we, we know this. We have heard this if we've been in church any amount of time. I'm not uh, uncovering something that you've never heard, not claiming to do that. But we often forget it. This was this devotional love, complete devotional love. He said, Peter, are you completely devoted to me? Not an emotional attachment not a strong human affection toward. That's, that's the other word that we're going to see in this text for love in the English. That's phileo. He asked him this. He said, do you truly agape owe me more than these? Peter's answer is this. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I phileo you. So that you can understand this in our day. In our language where we have one word for love and we decide how strong that love is by context. Let me tell you what's really going on here so that it's, it's clear to you. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me 100%? He says, I love you. 60. Oh, it's not the devoted love that you just asked me that I love you with, Lord, but, but, but I, I have affection toward you, about 60%. I, I'm good there. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly agapeo me? Do you 100% love me? He asked him again, and he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I, I phileo you. Oh, often we beat Peter up here. Peter's actually using a little wisdom. He's not letting the claim of his mouth overload the truth. We're going to see that in a moment. Jesus asked him again, do you truly agape owe me? Are you 100% devoted to me all of the time, 365 days out of the year, 12 months, 30 days, however the month long is, are you devoted to me every second of every minute? Peter says, small percentage of the time, I phileo you. He goes on again. This is the third time. After he tells him, take care of my sheep. And again, next week we will talk about the differences in those things. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. There's a great lesson there for us to learn. In the 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John. Jesus changes the word here. Do you phileo me? Do you have just a basic affection for me? Watch what happens next. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. Jesus said, do you agape me? Do you agape me? He said, the best I can do is phileo. The best I can do is phileo. And Jesus said, do you phileo me? At least do you phileo me? And it hurt him because he didn't ask him again to love with perfect love. It was good news for Peter. It's good news for us. The one who loves with perfect love does not ask for us to love with perfect love in return. He knows who we are. Watch what Peter says. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that on my best day, all I can do is phileo you, Lord. Peter's love had failed and fallen short. Peter knew it. But Christ's love will never fail. He wasn't ridiculing Peter. He was bringing Peter to the truth and the reality that I phileo you, even if you don't phileo, I mean, I agapeo you, even if you only phileo me, my love for you is 100% devoted and faithful, even when yours isn't. Christian, hear that today. Because if I were to poll you in this room today, how many of you 100% of the time Love the Lord with agapeo devotion. Anyone who raised their hand would be the biggest liar that you have ever met. Jesus is teaching this lesson to the leader of the apostles. And if he needed this lesson, surely we need this lesson as well. He's reiterating to him his perfect love. Because Peter's love had failed. He had proven that he didn't love the Lord in the same manner that the Lord had loved him. He had fallen short. Mark chapter 14, 
Verse 27, we see this. Watch Peter's arrogant claim. Jesus tells them, verse 27, you will all fall away. Jesus told them, right, talking to the disciples, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. He quotes the Old Testament there in Zechariah. He says, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. He seems so confident, doesn't he? Unfortunately, his confidence was not in the love of Christ. His confidence was in himself. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. All sitting there saying, we're devoted to you. Lord, no, you phileoed him when he was agapeo and you the whole time. And it is in the love of Christ that any of us stand. It is important that we see that. This is a valuable lesson, not just for Peter, but for all of us, that we must learn. It's not our love for Christ that saves us. It's not our love for Christ that carries us. It's not our love for Christ that holds us and secures us. It is His love for us. Stop thinking that you have something to offer, Simon, son of Jonah. At best, even your love is flawed. But Jesus says, mine isn't. Mine isn't. You know, it grieved Peter's heart that he couldn't agape o Christ. That all he could say was, you know, you know that at best. I love, I love you with a surface kind of love most of the time. Lord, I've proved, proven that with my life. I proved it with my denial. I'm not going to open my mouth again. I've done that and made claims that I could not back up with my life. You and you alone know. Isn't it comforting? To know that when I'm not loving the Lord as I'm supposed to. You say, well, pastor, do you mean that you struggle in this area? Yes, in all other areas. But isn't it comforting to know this? That when I struggle to love him, he never one time struggles to love me with 100% agapeo, devoted love to his child. Peter must Learn this lesson. We must learn this lesson. It's not about you loving Christ. Isn't that what many people think in error? Well, if I just love him enough, and I'll receive something from him. When you didn't love him at all, he died in your place on a cross to show you the extent of his unending, undying love for you. It is a perfect love. He loves us with a perfect love. He's teaching Peter about this. The same love that God the Father expresses toward God the Son is the same love that he loves us with. Remember John chapter 15, verse 9? We learned this. Jesus said this in verse 9 and 15, as the Father has loved me. Watch what he says there. As the Father has agape owed me, so have I agaped you. Now remain in my agape. Rest in my love. Don't, don't try to rest in your love, Simon, son of Jonah. Your love will fail you most of the time. Rest in my love. It's perfect. God knows that we can't be perfect in any area of our life. Love included. Even love for him included. We must reside and rest and abide in the vine in the perfect love of God in Christ. It's perfect. Peter felt that he had blown it beyond repair. Don't you know? How many of you have ever felt like you've blown it beyond repair? How many of you? If I could point the finger at me, I only have 10. If I had 11, I would need it. But if you're in Christ, it is his love, his perfect love, it secures you and keeps you even when you blow it. In Proverbs, it says this in Proverbs 20, verse 6, Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. What huh. words of wisdom. Many people claim to have unfailing love. The, the one who wrote the proverb there says, but they don't. <laughs> it's only a figment of their imagination. They're unfaithful to others, they're unfaithful to God, and they're unfaithful to themselves. Why? Because that's the very nature of us as humans. 
The psalmist understood this. God has a different nature. In fact, the psalmist writes this in Psalm 13, verse 5, but I trust in your unfailing love. I don't trust in my good deeds. I don't trust in my works. I don't trust in my love for the Savior. I don't trust in my, my Sunday school attendance or my church attendance or the fact that I went to Bible study before I came over to, to big church today. No, I trust only in His unfailing love. My heart rejoices, the psalmist said, in your salvation. It is your unfailing love that I can trust in. It is your unfailing love that saves me. It's perfect love. Not only is it perfect love, and he's showing this to Peter, it's preserving love. Peter had blown it. But the love of Christ preserved him, kept him. His love shelters us. Christian, understand that. Even when you blow it, if you are in Christ, you are not graded upon your performance. You are sheltered in the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. And that righteousness has been imputed to you, and it is that that preserves you, not only in this life, but in the life to come. Psalmist said in Psalm 119, 88, preserve my life according to your love. How does the Lord preserve us? His perfect love. And then he says, and I will obey the statutes of your mouth. Oh, you'll never really walk in obedience to the Lord and enjoy it? until you understand the magnitude of his love that he has for you. Because then when you walk in obedience, you see it as a privilege, not as an obligation. It is a privilege that I get to walk in obedience to the one who loved me with perfect, preserving love. Not only is that love perfect and preserving, it is a propelling love. It propels us. It's going to propel Peter, there was a point in this whole meeting. That point was to propel Peter into the ministry that Jesus had already told him that he was going to do. In fact, it was good works that were prepared in advance for him before the foundations of the earth. Peter's lack of love and commitment to the Lord was not going to get him out of this. I remember when I was called to preach. I thought, okay, I don't want to preach. So the best thing for me to do is send my way out of this deal. Just rebel against God, rebel against his word, do what I want to do. And I did for a season, a miserable season in my life. I'm so thankful today that every time I threw the towel in, he threw it back. That he had a plan for my life that's bigger than me, that's bigger than you, that's bigger than anything that I, I can even begin to fathom. And it is all because of his love. And it is his love that propels us into action for him. Christ's love ought to be our motivation to live holy and godly lives. Everybody scratches their head. And they say this. They say, man, I don't understand why holiness is not important in the church anymore. These people just must not love Jesus. I don't think that's it. These people must not understand how much Jesus loves them. Because when we begin to understand just how much he loves us, it propels us to live holy and godly lives, to not bring reproach upon the lover of our souls, to not hurt the testimony of himself that he has given to us. It propels us to live godly lives. Again, out of appreciation for what he's done for us. It should propel us into service to him, into ministry. We should reciprocate our love for him by doing what he's called us to do. First John, as John was eavesdropping on this conversation between the Lord and Peter, he, he gained some wisdom, obviously, in his first epistle in chapter 2. He says this in verse 5, and you can go back and look at it. He says, but if anyone obeys his word, God's agapeo is truly made complete in him. He says if anyone really obeys God, it's because he has an understanding of God's complete love for him. Oh, I wish some Christians would get this this morning. Where you would stop thinking that serving Jesus is suffering. It's not. Serving Jesus is a blessing. We get to serve Him because He chose to love us. That ought to propel us into service to Him. God's love pushing us toward loving God 
deeper and toward loving others. Remember in John chapter 13, Jesus called it a new commandment, which was no new commandment at all. They had new power to obey it. He says in verse 34 of chapter 13, a new command I give you, love one another. Watch what he says, agapeo one another. As I have agapeoed you, so you must agapeo one another. But I'm incapable. Yes, you are in and of yourself. Aren't you thankful that he has shown you his devoted 100% love? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you agapeo one another. Can I love you with agape love? Absolutely not. Not in and of myself. On my best day, I will fail. But can I have a greater understanding of the love of God in Christ Jesus? And can I walk in Christ Jesus? And in walking in Christ Jesus, can I then show you the love of Christ, the agapeo, into your life every single day? Yes, we can. Yes, we should. He'll teach us to love just as he teaches us to forgive. It's a propelling love. Well, if you understand the depths of the love that God has shown you in Christ, how could you not serve God and serve others? I say again, people don't serve the Lord because they don't love the Lord. They don't serve the Lord because they don't know the depths of the love He has for them. Hear that today. See that today. He wanted Peter to understand that. Peter, I love you with a love you can never even begin to mimic on your own. At best, you understand emotions and feelings. This is beyond that. This is a deep, God-centered, God-empowered love. So we see that Jesus singles him out. Remind him of the danger of sin to reiterate the love of the Savior. Are you thankful this morning that the Savior loves you? in spite of you. I think of the times, even in my Christian life, where I've proven to myself and others that I am incapable on my own of loving Christ like He loves me. But it does not change the way that He loves me. It's never going to change. It's an unending, undying love. Jesus singled Peter out to make sure he knew that. And then thirdly and lastly, he singled Peter out to restore him to service. To restore him to service. 15C, 16C, and 17C. We're, we're talking about lambs and sheep. Again, I will give you depth and insight into that next week. I, I wanted to fit it in this week, but <laughs> I should have. I want to get you out of here before 3 o'clock. But he wants to single him out here to restore him to service. My prayer is this, that he would single some of you out here today to restore you to service. The wayward children. I'm not talking about a lost person who doesn't know Christ. I'm talking about the prodigal. The son. The daughter who's wandered away. And where they know that they need to be. They've accepted the old man or the old woman. They are walking in their sin. Jesus is going to give Peter a lesson on being restored to service. He recommissions him to duty, the duty of shepherding his people. Again, I told you, I'll go into the details of what all he's saying to him next week. But just simply put, what he's doing is he's saying, the thing that I told you you were going to do, I'm going to rest, uh, you can rest assured that I'm going to accomplish that through you. You're going to do that. But Lord, I denied even knowing you three times. Yes, I understand that. Peter, and I've taken that into consideration. That's why three times I'm referencing your calling. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Three times Peter had denied Christ. And three times we see him restored to service here. That's not by accident. You say, well, what would have happened if Peter would have denied Christ five times? Then we would have had another statement about feeding lambs or sheep. Two of them. Because where sin increased, grace does that much more increase. His grace will cover our sin, all of it. Not so that we can abuse that, so that we can appreciate that. Three times Peter fell, three times Peter was restored. Christ was showing him his grace and his mercy. It was no coincidence 
But this was early morning there on the shore of Galilee. Remember the story where we were last week? They had fished all night long. Hadn't caught a single fish. They were hungry and they were tired. And right at the break of day, they saw the image of a man there on the shore. It was Christ and they didn't even recognize him just yet. But can you imagine there as Peter's receiving this calling out from the Lord as he's being singled out here. The Lord is singling him out so that he can restore him. Can you imagine that sun began to peak over those mountains there around Galilee? And he saw that sun come over those mountains and rise. And he was taken back to his childhood where he would have learned and memorized portions of scripture. Maybe he went back there in his mind to Lamentations chapter 3. He remembered the words there, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Believer, hear that this morning. Peter, there on the bank of Galilee, seeing the Lord's compassionate restoration. His compassionate restoration, even after Peter failed, Jesus still shows him compassion, restores him to his calling and his service and his duty that he had prepared for him to do. Jesus shows him that compassion as his advocate. Jesus was letting him know Peter, you're still on my team. I still have a plan for you. I haven't discarded you because you blew it, brother. In fact, I've known all along that that's what you were going to do in my compassions. They're renewed every morning. And I'm faithful even when you're unfaithful, Peter. Oh, what an advocate the Lord presents himself as there. Oh, we go quickly To John's first epistle. Remember, John eavesdropping, hearing this conversation. John understood this lesson when he wrote this, my dear children. In 1 John chapter 2, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus was there as his advocate, as his mediator, as his great high priest, Aren't you thankful that Christ serves in the office of the great high priest? The the author of Hebrews says this. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Peter needed restoration and the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ gave him compassionate restoration right where he needed it, right when he needed it. Oh, the grace and the mercy of the Lord that we don't deserve. What a compassionate Savior and advocate, mediator and high priest we have in Christ. Don't lose sight of that, brothers. Don't lose sight of that, sisters. He's our hope. He's our hope of restoration. His compassionate restoration Not only that, he offered him a complete restoration. No conditional clauses here. Peter, if you get it right from here on out, you'll be restored. One would ask, did Peter ever blow it again? Yes. It's just not recorded. Yes, he blew it again. How do I know that he blew it again? Because Simon, son of Jonah, existed until Peter was taken home. He gives us complete restoration. Not partial, incomplete, a percentage, full restoration. Jesus' sacrifice and his position secures that for those who are in Christ. Full restoration to those who are in him. Again, the author of Hebrews nails it. Chapter 7, verse 24, what does he say? But because Jesus lives forever, aren't you thankful for that? He's alive, he's alive, alive forevermore. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely 
I told you it was complete restoration. He's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He intercedes for them at salvation, and then he always lives to intercede for them continually in the sanctification process when we blow it. But his restoration for us is complete. Not because of us, but because of who he is and his position. Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. You know what Jesus didn't have to do to restore Peter here? He didn't have to climb back on the cross. No, you remember the words of the Lord when he was there. It is finished. It is finished. The restoration that Peter is going to need the rest of his life and for all eternity, it is finished. Complete restoration. Or aren't you thankful today that your restoration in Christ is never based on the condition of you and your performance, your works, and your obedience? We are secured by the great high priest, holy and blameless and sinless, who sacrificed for sin once for all. Our restoration is complete in Christ. See that today, friends. The compassionate restoration, a complete restoration, and then a compelling restoration. This reality that Peter had been restored should have, and obviously did, compel Peter to service. In fact, Peter would spend the rest of his life, all of his days, living for the Lord Jesus Christ and serving him. In fact, he would eventually, according to history, According to what Jesus is going to say in this passage in just a moment that we won't cover today, he's going to actually die for the cause of Christ. What a privilege it was for Peter that day when he was crucified, and history says that he was crucified face down or head down, upside down, because he didn't feel fit to be crucified the way that his Savior had been crucified. But don't you know it brought great joy to Peter's heart that day? And the agapeo love of Jesus Christ overwhelmed him. And he looked at those Romans who were torturing him and about to kill him. I'm sure he thought or even said, just as the Lord said, when the same was happening to him, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He finally understood agapeo love. And it didn't come from him. It came from the restoration of Christ. Compelling restoration that should compel us to live, serve the Lord with vigor and passion. Many make so many excuses, don't we? We give the Lord our laundry list of reasons that He could never use us. Peter could have done the same here. I denied you three times, even to a little girl, as I warmed by the enemy's fire. I am unfit and I am unworthy. Yes, you are, Peter, and yes, you are, Kirk. It's not about us. It's about the restoring power of Christ that compels us to serve Him in every area of our life. He desires to restore each and every one of you who belong to Him today. He desires to restore you today. Why? So you will be compelled from this moment forward to live for Him and His glory and to even die for the same glory. Peter received restoration from Christ here in this text. He was moved to service. How can we see such restoration as believers and then continue to make excuses as to why he couldn't restore us? Oh, come to him today. Come to him today if he's singling you out. You're that person who, as a believer, you've made mistake after mistake after endless mistake. He says, Come. Sit down by the fire. Let's have some breakfast. Oh, he's going to single you out, and it's going to hurt for a moment. It always hurts when the Lord singles us out. But I am thankful that not only does he bring conviction into our life that hurts, he is the healer of our souls. He will then heal you with his limitless and abounding love 
and restoration. Then you will be compelled to serve him with every ounce of energy that you have for all of your days. So I ask you this as we close. Is Jesus singling you out today? Is he? Oh, you say that makes me uncomfortable. It should. No one likes it. But is he doing it? I remember over 30 years ago, it's kind of sad to say it like that. I used to think when people referenced 20 or 30 years, that meant they were really old. I'm realizing the older I get that that's just not the case. They're really experienced. (laughs) But I remember over 30 years ago in that church service where he singled me out for the first time, and it was the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life. He singled me out, and you know it hurt. It hurt because his word called me out. His word verified the truth that I already knew. I'm a sinner. There is none righteous. No, not one. No one seeks after him. And I had to come to grips with that. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you, Kirk Hall, fit in the category of all. And you have fallen short of the glory of God. And you deserve the wrath of God. You deserve justice in hell. Yes, I did. I'm so thankful that day that he singled me out because he singled me out not to remind me of my wickedness, but to bring it to my attention so that I could cry out for his righteousness to save me. And from that day forward, I have been saved and secured by Christ and what he did for me at the cross. Perhaps today he's singling you out today to save your wretched soul as he once saved my wretched soul to bring you to new and eternal life offer you the forgiveness of sin and the love of God in Christ Jesus today like you've never seen or known. Perhaps he's singling you out today so that you will repent of your sin and by faith trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I can assure you of this, friend, you will never be sorry for that singling out. Though it will hurt. It will hurt. He will apply because he is the balm of Gilead. He will apply that to your life. He is the great physician. He will heal you. He will bring you back to strength, but not strength for yourself, strength in Him. Perhaps He's singling you out today to save your soul. But maybe you say, today I'm saved, and I know that. Perhaps He's singling you out today to show you in your life that there is need for repentance and confession in whatever area it is in your life. Oh, be thankful today that His Word is true. But if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Peter left that scene that day completely restored. Don't leave here, believer, not restored, not taking advantage of what Jesus Christ paid for you to have. Repent and confess and get on the same page with Him and be honest. Call it by name. Name every sin that you're struggling with. Confess the fact that you haven't humbly depended upon Christ. You've tried to do it on your own and you see what you've gotten with Simon, son of Jonah, be restored to Cephas today. Repent. Perhaps that's what he's singling you out about. Your need of restoration. Maybe it's your home, it's your marriage, it's your family. He's a God who restores. Grab your wife by the hand, husband. Say, we need God, to restore some things in our life and get on your face before him and humble. Say, we've been trying to do this in our old nature and we're never going to make it. You're not. The wages of sin is death. Walk in your sin and see if it doesn't kill your marriage. Get on your face and say, God, we humbly come to you because we don't have a clue. We need your wisdom in our life. Lord, teach me to love my wife. Like you love me, teach me to love my husband like you love me. Teach me to love my children like you love me. Perhaps today he's singling you out because you need that kind of restoration, whatever area of your life it is. When he singles us out, it's not to embarrass us. It's to change us, to mold us, to grow us. Peter grew up in just a few days. If you'll keep reading in your Bible, leave John, go straight to Acts. You will see in just a few days, Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, restored by the love of God in Christ Jesus, stands and delivers a sermon where thousands of people 
come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. You think he didn't want to use Peter? But Peter had to grow to the point. And how did he grow to the point? He humbled himself before Christ. Christ did the work. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you thanking you so much for the truths that we see in Scripture. May they permeate our souls and our minds now. May brothers and sisters in Christ be fully restored, completely restored today. As they trust not in their performance or in their love for you, but they trust in your perfect love and your perfect work upon the cross for them. God, I pray for the soul who's lost and dead in their sin. That today, you, by the power of your Spirit, would quicken them to new life and faith and repentance. That they would turn to Christ and believe on Him as Lord and Savior. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the darkness.